0: This is the Rookie Researcher Podcast with me, Redmond Scales. Political science as a discipline has been grappling with understanding the re-emergence of political and social movements such as the Sanders and Corbyn left movements that operate outside of the traditional liberal paradigm. On this week's episode, I chat to Michael Coleman, a PhD candidate in UCD, where he draws upon a Marxist conception of rights to help us better understand these movements. Hi Michael, how are you?
1: Yeah, I'm grand. grand. Well, as well as I can be. Lockdown's just been announced again, obviously, but grander than that.
0: Yeah, given everything that's happened this week, <laughs> lockdown, the weather, the fungi's gone missing. Oh no, yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a fair disaster. Um, but anyway, we're here today to discuss um, your research. You, of course, are, um, we know each other, where um, you're doing a PhD in political science in uh, the School of Politics and International Relations in UCD. Um, But for anyone that doesn't know you, do you want to just give a quick introduction to yourself and your research?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, My name's Michael Coleman. Um, Yeah, as as you said, I'm I'm doing a PhD in the School of Politics in UCD. Um, My research is sort of at the intersection between um, political theory and and qualitative comparative political science. Um, What I'm looking to do is to articulate an account of rights that um, I guess pushes back against the primarily liberal understandings of rights that have held sway uh, in in Anglophone political theory in the last few decades um, and kind of make a new account that draws more upon uh, the work of Marx, for example, and has more of, I guess, a communalist flavour than the purely individualist um, way that rights are are normally considered. And then also the qualitative part of the project is to use that um, as a frame for trying to understand what the the nor- the normative and ideological uh, undergirding of, of of much of the kind of post crisis left um that 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 has emerged in in um Europe and the US but also all over the world and um, but the specific case studies i'm looking at are um, I guess, Corbynism in the UK, what, what the Labour Party under Corbyn was like, and then also the movement um, behind Bernie Sanders in the US. Uh, in terms of myself, I am um, I did my undergrad in philosophy and political science in Trinity, um, and then did a master's here in UCD in politi- political theory. Um, I was working in the civil service for a couple of years after that, but my intention was um, always to come back and do the PhD. Um, I think my interest in this kind of stuff uh, emerged really um because because of the the times i went to college in when it did it has really seemed since the great recession that the old kind of certainties of um of liberal capitalism have been collapsing um, um and new possibilities um political possibilities have, have emerged both on the right and the left um mm-hmm. so I, I yeah i guess um i've always been drawn to to, to looking at those th- those kind of things there's a there's a quote um from a, uh, an Italian Marxist called Antonio Gramsci, which is kind of a stereotype on, on, on leftist Twitter at this point. But the quote is, the crisis consists precisely in the fact that the old is dying and the new cannot be born. In this interregnum, a great variety of morbid symptoms appear. And I think this is a period of interregnum, um, and I want to look at some of those uh, morbid symptoms. And obviously the coronavirus crisis has made that even more so, more acute.
0: So basically you say that discipline of political science is grappling with the understanding of the reemergence of political and social movements that operate, operate outside of this liberal paradigm, traditional institutions that we generally associate with kind of the framing of rights itself. So can you explain to us what is this liberal paradigm and why are you looking at rights?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think firstly in terms of rights. Um, I think rights are just a very useful heuristic, which through with, through which we can understand um, what an ideology or what a system or what a society prioritizes, like what things it thinks are important. And um, so, rights are basically like entitlements or claims that that people have to particular things, to particular states of affairs, but also against particular things and against particular states of affairs, and um, that can be arranged. Um, in many different ways really um and yeah so as i said as i I said i think looking at that can kind of tell us a lot about what a particular society prioritized Um, but what i'm most interested in when looking about rights is what the kind of fundamental ontological assumptions that undergirds them are um so when i say ontological that's referring to to ontology and um, which is a term in, in philosophy um which in the broader sense refers to the study of like what it like what what is the being of 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 of, of something of, of a person or, or of a state of affairs and um, but in this particular instance and um, basically what i mean is like what factors are most fundamental in terms of our explanation um of social life and um, so like what is um i guess the fundamental um thing that we base um our, our understanding of rights on um with regard to rights um generally there have been considered to have been kind of two main ways of trying to to understand um rights and they're they're, they're kind of two poles on one end you have method, methodological individualism or atomism uh, on the other end and um, you have what is called as holism um so holism um, is generally what, what, what holists would argue is that the, the fundamental unit of analysis should be, I guess, the whole of society itself, uh, and the well-being of that whole should be what we consider um, when we're we're, we're considering. Um, rights or, or any kind of um, social arrangement, really. Um, so that would often stereotypically be associated with a more totalitarian point of view insofar as um, you might argue that uh, individual rights need to be cur- curtailed to, pr- to protect like the strength of society. Um, I think Marxists are often kind of stereotypically associated with holism. I don't think that's quite accurate. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll explain why later, Um, but that's kind of what, what holism is generally thought to meant. Um, methodological individualism on the other hand, um, that is an approach um, which prioritizes the individual as the basis from which um, we should derive our understanding of rights, that the, the thing we should care about mo- most is essentially the sanctity of that individual and that we should treat all of those individuals um, fairly in some sense. Um, and most kind of, I guess, liberal um, political force derives from a form of um, um, methodological individualism. So to then to move on to, um, I guess, the liberal framework you were asking me about, um, I think the particular the, the, the kind of, the, there are different kind of directions liberal political thought goes in, in the last 200 years. But the one I'm most concerned about is, is liberal egalitarianism. Um, and they say, this is a doctrine which has kind of dominated Anglophone political philosophy for the last few decades. Um, if not actually the, 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 the operations of um, liberal political parties in the real world but certainly mm-hmm. political philosophy um it can be difficult to nail down exactly what it is um but there are certain commonalities of approaches and concerns uh, between different sets of them um, and um, liberal egalitarians and um, they tend to be concerned about similar kinds of questions so questions of egalitarian uh, distributive justice for example so um Uh, you know they've lived like questions over like what is the most just uh, way to set up a welfare state questions over Mm -hmm. what is the most just uh, arrangement in terms of of, of, of health care and the question always the kind of fundamental question is always which arrangement is the fairest um, to all of the individuals participating in society Mm -hmm. Um, I guess the kind of metaphor um, I would make is that it's as if um, society is, is is a game. Liberal egalitarians are trying to design the rules that are fairest, that allow um, everyone a chance at, like, I guess, winning, as it were, insofar as that's a thing in real life, which it probably isn't. But that's kind of the hmm. the metaphor that they, they, they get at. Um, so, yeah, but the central figure anyway in, in, in liberal egalitarianism is a philosopher called John Rawls. Um, mm-hmm. So um, he released a book in the early 70s called A the Theory of Justice, which is basically the kind of definitive statement of um, liberal egalitarianism. Um, I'll get in depth into kind of some of the specifics in a minute. But, um, but yeah, after him, though, um, you have a wide variety of theorists who say quite different things. Um, and who disagree with each other often, but all will kind of operate in the framework of those central questions, I guess. Um, and that you know ranges from you you have some kind of right wing libertarians who think um, rules as central framing is correct, but that it justifies. Um, I guess, uh, laissez-faire capitalist society, and equally you have some socialists. um, So uh, a guy called G.A. Cohen being a prominent example who think that you can use Rawls' ideas to justify like a heavily redistributive socialist society. So in terms of how liberal egalitarianism approaches rights, however, um, it is methodologically individualist um, insofar Mm -hmm. as you know the individual is the thing that it's most concerned about um but what i kind of add as a a further ontological uh, uh um consideration that needs to be taken into account is like what aspect of the individual is it that we care about um because you have liberal approaches such as um i guess what began as classical liberalism and um, but eventually morphed into what we would call libertarianism today and um, prioritizes st- self-ownership, the idea that the individual um, owns themselves. Um, Whereas my argument is that um, liberal egalitarianism prefers autonomy, which is um, distinct from self-ownership, even though it sounds kind of similar. And another possible conception which kind of goes and runs in the more kind of positivist liberal tradition is um, the idea that I guess the utility of uh, that an individual has is what should be taken into account. So that that kind of leads to to um, I guess more utilitarian philosophies, and um, so that prioritise I guess pain and pleasure more than any other kind of concept. Um, just in terms of how uh, autonomy is 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 distinct to to, to self ownership because they do sound quite similar. Um, mm. So the idea behind autonomy is that, um, well, the literal translation is that uh, you know, it's it's the idea of giving law unto oneself. So basically, the principles by which I live, I ought to be able to decide. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's also a real sense that autonomy means exercising control over your life, that you are not never treated as a mere object and never treated as as a means to 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 an end by another person. Um, that's what autonomy kind of seeks to prioritize, whereas self-ownership um, is inherently tied up in the idea of property, that um, because I own myself when I mix my labor, um, uh, because, because I own myself in my capacities, um, because when I mix my labor with, 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 with the ground or with an object, I then own what is, what is produced and I have the exclusive right to dispose um, over um, the, the, the property rights of that object. Where those two kind of concepts come into um, c- come into conflict is that it's possible to imagine situations where um, if I believe I have the exclusive rights to, to, to dispose over my property, um, the kind of logical corollary of that is that I could have the right to sell myself into slavery. Um, people who prioritise autonomy um, would say that doesn't make sense because once you are sold into that position, you're still... You're being treated as an object, essentially, and you have no control over your life. You have no control to do anything anymore. And now that might be a kind of extreme example, but a less extreme example is the idea that, like, you know so someone who, who 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 takes a very exploitative job because they need that money to survive they may well have consented to that situation um but that doesn't mean that their boss isn't treating them like an object that doesn't mean that they're not merely a means to their boss's end and it doesn't mean that uh, they have any control over their their life and um, so that that's kind of where that distinction um lies um another thing that is so, so yes yeah, so i guess um, liberal egalitarians think rights institutions should therefore favor autonomy and allow real exercise of control over one's life so people can you know reach the conclusion that in order to achieve that people need access to free education free healthcare, for example and a, a redistributive welfare state and um, that's what kind of some kind of left liberal egalitarians anyway would think um but another distinctive thing about um uh, liberal egalitarianism is that this principle is reached through a kind of discursive rational process. Now, the the, the kind of prime um, example of that is John Rawls's idea of the original position. And what this is, is that um, in order to decide what principles ought to underlie the running society, uh, we need to imagine a situation where um, a group of rational individuals um, decide what is the fairest way for society to be arranged but behind something that's called the veil of ignorance whereby they don't know what position they will hold in society they don't know if they'll be rich or poor they don't know if um what, what, what their gender will be and um, they don't know what their sexuality will be um and he thinks that the principles that those rational individuals would agree to is is what um is is what a just society would look like um and there are various kind of iterations of this idea uh, that go in different directions but that's kind of the broad framework under which a lot of liberal egalitarian philosophy operates after this point um So what happens in this situation is it does generate broad principles that are quite open to interpretation. Um, so Mm -hmm. for example, um, one of the, the, the biggest one, um, is the, what's known as the difference principle. Um, and this is the idea that, um, inequality is only, um, acceptable if it makes, um, things better for the worst off or for the, for, for the most vulnerable. Um, the reason why that's quite, um, broad principle that can be interpreted in many ways is that ultimately that uh, relied like what what you think society should look like on that basis relies on like empirical evidence really right um Mm -hmm. because a right-wing libertarian could believe that under laissez-faire capitalism and the 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 rising tide lifts all boats and everyone's better off and could justify the arrangement under that basis um a socialist will believe that um Capitalism generates poisonous inequality that makes things far worse for the for the worst off. So it would justify um, more restri- more re- redistribution. Um, and so that's just an example that it can be used to make very radical claims for redistribution. Certainly more radical than has existed in 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 when liberalism has held sway sway in the political sphere in in the Western world in recent decades. Um, however i think it's still going to be criticized for having no conception or really of power conflict class or change right it's it, as i said it's about designing the re- rules of the game but it's something that only really can uh, without any conception of those things it can only really ever fiddle around the edges and i i think it's kind of a philosophy that intrinsically appeals to i don't really i don't mean this in a mean way it just is true it's a philosophy that appeals to policy wonks. i think it appeals to people who think that um if you just have the right policy, uh, you can make things better. Like the Elizabeth Warrens of yeah. this world, I think, <laughs> is is an example of, of, of someone who would be drawn to this kind of philosophy.
0: So, Michael, you state that uh, liberal egalitarianism is often criticised of having no conception of power or change. Um, so I'm just interested to know why you think this is. Yeah, so I
1: think... Um, Liberal egalitarianism is a kind of social critique, right, insofar as, mm. you know, um, if a political philosopher is making an argument that um, because of liberal egalitarian principles, education should be free, um, it's because they actually want society to implement that kind of change, right? Um mm. And the specific kind of social critique, liberal egalitarianism, is is kind of known as external critique. Um, So that's to say it uses standards derived from outside the object being criticised in order to evaluate it. Um, So what that means is the kind of principles um, that liberal egalitarians use to, I guess, assess society um, are, I guess, Derived entirely external from society, from this imagined kind of rational discursive process, um, and kind of, that this kind of gives it a universalism. Um, but that's kind of the, the the broad way they approach criticism. Um, political theorists from other traditions have have often criticised this. Um, idea for kind of lacking relevance to, 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 to people inside a real society. Right. Um, because the, the idea is, is if, if, um, the kind of principles derived are principles derived by kind of like abstract rational individuals, um, it, it, it's unclear how those principles have any relevance to real people who aren't abstract rational individuals, but are, you know, real people who exist in, in in a real society and interact in a real world um mm. another kind of criticism that's all been made is that um the the be, because there is no content that's that's based on again the the, the real world principles derived and um, from this will be so empty of like actual content so as to be tautological um so you know, Rawls did kind of intend his system to, to facilitate disagreement between different kinds of political systems. Um, mm-hmm. But um, people would say, what is the point of something like the difference principle if it can be used to, to support laissez faire um, capitalism on one hand and socialism on, on, on the other? Because the actual mm-hmm. content of that stance um, comes in the kind of empirical, like sociological or political analysis you do. It doesn't actually come from the principles. So, there's there are kind of some problems with the idea of 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 external critique and that i think lead it to not conceptualize power for example and if we contrast Mm -hmm. this to another approach which is known as kind of imminent critique um and the idea of imminent critique is to to draw on standards um imp- implicit in, in in really existing social pro- practice to, to to critique them um so to kind of explain what that means um i think it's kind of useful to go to kind of the the history or the, the genealogy of the term um, so eminent critique kind of initially is developed by by hegel um the the idea his idea being that if you can uncover the ways in which um you know, society, or, or, well, he wasn't really talking about society, but for the purposes of this we'll say society, and um, society fails to live up to claims made by its own rights institutions, um, then that can be something that facilitates change. So for example, um, you may live in a country that um, has a formal right to political, equal political participation of all citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, however. The kind of untrammeled power of, of, of large corporations and money in politics may mean that right has no substantive content at all. Um, mm-hmm. So, what it, it, the kind of, I guess, a Hegelian critique does is to point out that contradiction and will argue that expi- by exposing that contradiction, you can. I guess create a a, a change that, that that moves beyond it and hence creates new new standards. And um, what Marx adds to this is he 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 kind of adds a kind of a material edge. He says it's not enough to just observe that contradictions like that exist in the real world. Mm-hmm. You have to also understand what the material basis for that is. Um, so a Marxist would add to, to to that observation about the 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 you know contradiction between mo- money and politics and the right to equal political participation, would say that um the material basis of this is the the power relations that are created by. Um, a capitalist society whereby uh, economic power is centralized increasingly in the hands of fewer and fewer actors. um, And they use an ideological slate of hand to argue that it is illegitimate to infringe on their economic rights, um, even as they use those economic rights to effectively infringe on people's um, right to equal political participation. And that in order to actually overcome it, it is necessary to overcome that um, I guess that, 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 that relationship of domination or the, or that power relation. So that's kind of the, 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 distinction between, um, that, that, that would be a reason rather why, um, liberal egalitarianism fails to conceptualize these things because it, it's, it's analysis is so withdrawn from the actual realities of society in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to say that doesn't necessarily mean that, um, imminent critique is inherently superior to, 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 um, external critique right because i think there probably still is something to be said for the kind of universalism um it operate it it offers right if 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 all social critique is based on the society it operates in you you do seem to collapse into a kind of relativism um but it's it is to say that bringing in some techniques from imminent critique can can uncover the weaknesses of, of liberal egalitarianism as an approach and can perhaps um help it to move beyond those weaknesses. Um, Although the question remains whether doing that you could still call the philosophy liberal egalitarianism, or would it become something else?
0: So, Michael, you hypothesize that these movements, so the the Bernie Sanders movements and the Corbyn movements, um, are committed to a platform anchored in a conception of rights which draws upon the work of Karl Marx. But if... We look at Karl Marx, especially his early work, some would argue that he ignored the kind of proliferation of individual rights. And just to to quote Marx himself, he says, the rights of an egotistic man, of a man as a member of the bourgeois society. This is to say that an individual separated from his community and solely concerned with uh, his self-interest. So basically, these alleged universal rights uh, of the abstract individual uh, would in reality promote the interests of one particular social type so the progressive or the possessive individual uh, of capitalism so how are you tying this to your research
1: yeah so i guess marx comes in in a number of ways really um so i think firstly um when i talk about marxism um i'm not necessarily just talking about the kind of set of politics that is associated with the label marxism although i do have mm-hmm. sympathy for a lot of those politics and um, i'm talking about marxism as a is a methodology um, mm-hmm. as a tool deployed by the social sciences and philosophy and um, that can basically help us understand um how how, how society works and um, so what i think one of the biggest things that marxism as a methodology does um is that it says when you're analyzing um the like when you're analyzing an object whether that be society or something smaller um Mm -hmm. you need to understand um the contradictions or the antagonisms between the individual components um of that whole um and Mm -hmm. that's that's how you kind of get to um the 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 basis of 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 i guess what's what's going on this is kind of this is what's often known as dialectics and um, I won't get into what the different definitions are because that's a whole other debate but that's kind of like the broad Marxist um approach um so in terms of what Marxism brings to um rights I think the first way it links into my research is because I think um it begins to build um a critique of a a liberal approach to rights in general but also a liberal egalitarian approach to rights but i think it also offers some insights that can move beyond some of the problems and um, presented by it for, for liberal egalitarian uh, approach to rights um so i think the first thing that marxism does is that um it, it historicizes um rights institutions um insofar as i think marx will always say that we ought to be suspicious of um, um, the, like any kind of state of affairs in society, which claims itself to be natural, right? Um, mm. And this is what often, if, if we go back to kind of the libertarian understanding of, of, of rights and self-ownership, um, often what is that is the idea um, that this is a natural state of affairs, whether that be given from God or you know some other justification now that god doesn't tend to play too much of a role in political theory um marx argues that um when things appear like that um it, 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 in reality uh, they're, they're not a natural state of affairs they are historically specific arrangement um that is based um on the interests um, or, 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 based on the interests of a political class um, that are in power, or really based on the state of the the struggle between two different classes that are opposed to one another. Um, so, the kind of the what was considered to be natural rights in Marx's ta- time um, are different to what we were considered to be natural rights back in back in the feudal era. Um, mm. But he thinks they often um, will, I guess. Just uh, represent the 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 interests of 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 the elites uh, or or the, the class that's in power, which in his time and arguably still in our time was was the capitalist class. So you get the idea that private property rights um, are sacred and and cannot be challenged. Um, and really, that's an idea that still persists to this day. Like even in the Irish Constitution, it exists. Um, and even like in in terms, I think in terms of like contemporary. Um, debates about um, rights, it's it's an important thing, even though um, the kind of um, libertarian understanding of rights, I would argue, isn't really taken that seriously outside of the few dusty corners of of the academy. Um, This kind of naturalising tendency can still be seen. So there's a kind of pretty common debate about the distinction between um, social and economic rights on the one hand and civil and political rights on the other um and it, it, people will often argue that that civic and political rights um which so that's things like you know the the right to vote um mm-hmm. the you know fr- freedom of expression um even things like the right to private property would uh, would be considered uh, one of those those kinds of rights um should come prior to social and political rights um, and so so social political rights would be things like or social and economic rights rather uh would be things like mm-hmm. the the right to healthcare the right to a free education um i guess the, the 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 right to even like you know um be able to join a union for example um mm-hmm. the right to you know a weekend the, 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 those those kinds of things um for any anyway the reason people think that that civic and civic and um Political rights come before, is that they are somehow more natural um than the other ones, or or or, or less complicated rather is, is the term mm-hmm. I would use. So um there's a philosopher called Honor O'Neill who makes an argument that um you know the right to private property should be considered a fundamental human right because it doesn't place any burdens on you and on anyone and it's simple uh, in order to respect it however the right mm-hmm. to healthcare requires repl- placing huge burdens upon uh, upon lots of doctors um for example mm-hmm. in order to ensure that this um is actually vindicated but i think there's kind of a i guess like a naturalistic delusion operating here right because the right to private property um in reality, uh, requires a lot to 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 protect it. It requires an extremely complex array of legal instruments. Um, it requires um, a police force to enforce the right to stop others uh, from in, in in infringing on it. Um, and I guess the point Marx would make is um, we are more able to make that kind of observation when we kind of historicize and when we say, okay, and whose interest? Is this right that people are claiming is 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 natural or in this instance less com- less complicated? Whose interest is 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 this serving? That's kind of what the, the historicizing does. Um, is worth noting though that that doesn't you know like. That, that's not really enough on its own, right? Just because you observe that a specific kind of right is historically specific doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong, right? Like there mm-hmm. could still be other justifications for it, but I think it, it historicizing does kind of um, expose some of the more flimsy justifications. The second thing um, I think, and this gets onto the quote you you, you brought up in the question, um, mm-hmm. is that I think he, he critiques very much the individualism of, 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 of rights institutions. Um, so he, he he thinks basically that the, the concept the the idea of, of us as individuals having individual rights, um, and that, um, that, 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 that essentially we're in conflict with, with, with the rights of others all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, that basically creates a society where everyone is is, is separated from one another and everyone um, is suspicious of their neighbor where 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 everyone um, I guess withdraws from the kind of realm of the social and becomes selfish because they see rights as, a, as essentially like a zero-sum game right and right. um, so in in this instance right the the political sphere which is basically the realm in which we can operate socially and collectively to achieve, you know, what, whatever it is a society wants to achieve, to achieve that entirely that becomes entirely about regulating um, individual rights, about regulating the selfish, selfish interests of individuals. And so Mm -hmm. because of that, (coughs) he thinks we, we we become alienated from, I guess, a kind of collective activity, um, Mm -hmm which for marx is a problem because he thinks humans are are, are at a root um in, in, in inherently i guess in, in, in inherently like social animals right who 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 are instantiated by our activity with other people um that's mm-hmm. what makes us to like who 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 we are in various ways
0: so would you argue that Marx himself is a holist rather than an individual. Um
1: so that's a good question. I'm gonna get 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 to that in a second now. Um just mm-hmm. to, to to frame it, And though I think in terms of how that relates back to to, to liberalism um, or liberal, mm-hmm. liberal egalitarianism, I think um the kind of historicizing I was I was talking about um That's more damaging, I think, to to, um, libertarianism than it is to liberal egalitarianism. In fact, I think that kind of historicizing perspective um, can definitely aid liberal egalitarianism in its debates against um, libertarianism. The kind of critique of individualism, on the other hand, I do think it kind of cuts more fundamentally to, to, to the core. Of the way liberal egalitarians conceptualize rights and um, even into like even just down to the very idea of like the idea of designing a game where all players can participate fairly that very idea conceptualizes society like everybody in society as being my rival and winning the game right and mm-hmm. um, so that does kind of cut more um more to the core of that um on that basis you may think then that we should conclude that 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 Marx is a holist i th- and you know a lot of people do do that um and i mm-hmm. guess if you look at um you know what happened in in the soviet union under under stalin um and the way the ind- the interests of the individual was completely um, sub- um, um sub- subjugated to to the interests of, of of the state maybe that's probably why people do come to that conclusion i think that's mm-hmm. that's mistaken though um because i think you can't read if if you read Marx in any depth, you can't help but notice how um, how how concerned he actually is with individual freedom, right? He has, um, I like, I think you can make the argument that his number one concern is is individual freedom. Um, hmm. And his conception of individual freedom, I think, in many ways has an affinity um, with 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 some of the liberal egalitarians' um, understandings of, of of freedom of rights, in the sense that for Marx, freedom is all about being able to develop your individual capacities in the way you see fit, um, and being able to to interact with, with the world in, in in a way that maximizes your own capacities um, and to be able to do that through 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 labour um that kind of sounds quite similar to to autonomy and i would argue that that probably is um in the sense that it's you know about being able to actually exercise true control over your life um without being i guess like held down either by others or by kind of inconvenience of the of, of the material world um and you know he also has a lot of um he also writes a lot about um so something like called called alienation, whereby um, essentially individuals become objects at the mercies of them, of, of, um, of, of their, you know, capitalists or their bosses, but also just at the kind of the forces of production and capitalism in general. And that's that's something he wants to transcend. So he has a conception of autonomy and freedom, which. Has a kind of an affinity of sorts with with, with liberal egalitarianism. But I think where so, so I think on that basis we can't really con- conclude that he that he would be a Hollist. However, mm-hmm. for the reasons we've just discussed, he's not really um an individualist either. Um mm-hmm. and I think the key to understanding it is, is understanding that marx's conception of of autonomy or individual freedom it is about people developing their individual capacities but it's also about understanding that the only way this is possible and the only way we can actually understand what those capacities are or what individual or what individuals are is socially right that um a fundamental fact 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 about humans um is that we interact with each other socially um Mm. and that um what like you know our capacities or our preferences or even our, our very persons are um are not things that have a basis solely in ourselves but are things that have a, a basis in their relation to others um so that 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 that's that's i, I think a, a way of looking at it so drawing back then to our kind of like i guess uh, kind of ontolo- ontological considerations um i think it's it to me anyway. It's it's clear that we we, we if you're learning from Marx, you need to conceptualise um, an ontology that is, I guess, neither uh, methodologically individualist or hollist, um, one that mm-hmm. focuses on, I guess, the the relations between people um, as the basis for understanding both the individual and the whole, um, and that uh, an understanding of rights that um, I guess privileges, um, autonomy, um, but understands that, um, autonomy is only achievable kind of, I guess, intersubjectively through, I guess, um, through social activities, um, mm-hmm. with, 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 with others and recognizing that we are all, I guess, dependent, we may all be distinct individuals, but we're all distinct individuals that are dependent upon one another. um, mm-hmm yeah so i think when you do that you can understand both the individual and the whole a lot better and and and, um you know have a conception of rights that protects both of things um more so um and so 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 that's i think the the basis of where i'm trying to take this i think in terms of like Mm -hmm. some specific applications of this um i think there's so there's been a lot of work um done in recent years more so in kind of political economy and sociology about theorizing the idea of the commons specifically, um, that um, um, basically trying to enshrine um, a right of all to the commons as opposed to um, a situation based on um, private property um, where Mm -hmm. each, everyone owns like individual components of said commons. Um, Anybody who's taken a first year political science module will uh, will will of course have heard of the tragedy of, comm- of, 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 of the Commons, which suggests such an affair is unsustainable. There's a lot of research like like that. Like I, I always do, find it quite funny that that's kind of taught as a foundational thing in first year political science because it has like I would argue thoroughly been 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 thoroughly de- the, the way in which that has been theorised has moved on a lot in recent years. And I mm. think theorising a a, a a right to that it, it could could be a helpful development there. I also think um there's been a lot of work done um on the idea of i guess fragility and vulnerability by in in particular by feminist political philosophers um i think especially judith butler is probably a prime example of that um and i think recognizing our inherent dependentness on one another necessarily means recognizing our common vulnerability and fragility alone um and i think um theorizing a system of rights that, that 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 respects those things and protects those things is something that, that is also, I think, quite important. Go, go.
0: So, Michael, you're not necessarily arguing for a causal mechanism, you're just theorizing a normative argument in a sense, and you're going to apply this to the Corbyn movements and the Bernie Sanders movements that we've seen over the last few years. So, why these movements? Why these specific movements?
1: Yeah, so... I think there are a few reasons. Um, the kind of obvious practical one um, is, I mean, there are other movements I would I would like to 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 consider, whether that be Podemos in Spain or even. Um, especially given news of the election result yesterday um the 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 socialist movement in bolivia um yeah. would be one i would love to look at but i just unfortunately just mm-hmm. don't have the the practical language skills or cultural or historical knowledge to be able to do that whereas mm-hmm. i like both these kind of these are obviously i speak english but the, uh, I, i'm like very familiar with the, the i guess the the history and politics of these movements in a way i'm just not mm-hmm. um with other ones um I think also, um, even within that there's kind of a, I, I think anyway, like a compelling narrative of the idea of socialism emerging in the belly of the beast. And that's not really enough on its own, but it's something that does just kind of like, I guess, grab you, um, which, I mean, we should admit does contribute to, 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 to how we select cases in in, in, in our research. Um, mm-hmm. but I think also, um, you know, like under, uh, J.S. Mills, most different systems model of, um, case studies, um, basically we can learn a lot by looking at different backgrounds that share similar key features. Um, And in this instance, what we see is um, two countries where you have had the rise of new electoral forces um, that many had felt had been consigned to history um, on both the left and the right. So obviously, the right corollary um, in in the UK is something like Brexit. Um, obviously, and, and the the way in which that has basically been integrated within the mainstream Conservative Party now, and in the US, I mean, obviously, Trump is the the kind of force on the right that emerges in, in 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 this situation um in the kind of uh, interregnum as, as discussed discussed earlier um i think also a, a reason for it is i feel um much mainstream analysis and much mainstream political science even though i wouldn't say all oh, there are some people who've done good work here um mm. um much of it i just think gets these movements wrong um and I think theorising where they're actually coming from normative is helpful in that. So the ways in which mm-hmm. I think they get it wrong. Um, so firstly, in the, in, the, in the instance of Corbynism, right, um, I feel like the way Corbynism was portrayed um, was basically the suggestion that um, what his politics was and what the labor manifestos in 2017 and 2019 were doing um was bringing um you know things back to the 50s and 60s and 70s the Mm. kind of like classical era of, of social democracy and there are people who said that disparagingly and there are people who said that oh like wouldn't that be like that that would be great to do um yeah but that kind of misses completely the lineage that corbyn actually comes from so corbyn comes from a movement that was known in in the uk as like the new left uh in, in the 70s and 80s the kind of main kind of representative of that movement was 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 tony ben Um mm-hmm. and the new left was very much opposed to the traditional social democrats back in that day and um, so the the traditional and even the and the unions even though that those being figures like um michael foote or, or or neil kinnock um and it, they were opposed to them um, even in so far as both those factions of, of the Labour Party were opposed to what were then known as the modernisers, but who eventually became the the, the Blairites, um, there was a great deal of opposition because the fundamental criticism that um, that uh, Tony Benn made of the or, or the New Left in general made of the traditional social of de- traditional social democracy was that it ultimately wasn't democratic enough. That the kind of nationalisations had been done were controlled in a very top manner by unelected bureaucrats. Um, And he advocated for um, and the New Left in general advocated for a, a much more bottom-up kind of form of nationalisation, of, of, nationalization, um, of de- democratic control of nationalised resources, and of democratic mm-hmm. workers' control of, of, of key industries, um, which was not what so- traditional social de- democracy had in place. Um, and you can see that um, that lineage when you look at the, the, the kinds of policies that that that. Um, Corbin and John McDonnell in particular um advocated mm-hmm. for um um so you the, the you, you had the report on on new fo- new forms of 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 economic ownership which again kind of pushed forward ideas like workers ownership funds and the kind and and again like the kinds of nationalization that were advocated for um were based on the idea of 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 bottom up control for, 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 for fundamentally um the, the entire idea was about moving beyond social democracy and about imbuing socialism with a real democratic vitality um, that, that, and the party as well, that kind of flies mm. in the face of what the kind of traditional social democrats were arguing. Um, and I think with, with that, that that's the main way I think that, that they've, often got, they've often got Corbyn wrong. Where, where the ways in which they got Sanders wrong was sort of similar but like there's Sanders is coming from less of a clear tradition than 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 Corbin was um in the sense that um i think maybe they correctly people would have correctly pointed out that like that Sanders kind of like headline policies um were mm. We're kind of just traditional European social democracy, so those being free healthcare and free college, though I guess it should probably be acknowledged that we don't really have those things here in Ireland, kind of like in weird exactly, halfway yeah. <laughs> weird halfway house there. <laughs> um, yeah. So, in policy terms, you could argue he was traditional social democratic, though even with that, like something like the Green New Deal, I think certainly went far beyond um, traditional social democracy. Um, mm. But what they missed was, and, and and sorry, before I get to that, but and in arguing that he favoured traditional democracy, social democracy, I think a lot of people would have said, um, oh, there isn't really much difference between him and and Elizabeth Warren, um, and in policy terms, I mean, maybe less and less the campaign went on, but certainly early on, there wasn't really that 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 much of a difference. But I think the real difference was in terms of how they framed their political strategy and their political goals. Right. With Warren, it was, Oh, the whole, like I, I've got a plan for this and, you know, just let me take care of it. I'll, I'll solve all of it, which to me is kind of going back to the old kind of top down way of looking at things. But the whole Sanders thing was, was not me, us. It was about um, arranging a movement that was big enough to actually kind of overcome um the the economic power in american society that is that that is the reason that those things don't yet exist um a a, a movement that that, and and a movement that was big enough to Mm. to keep those policies in 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 place and necessarily by building a movement that big um this strategy
0: worked quite well for bernie himself during the early days of his political career
1: yeah yeah yeah, no exactly um Mm. uh, like there obviously it didn't it didn't come to full fruition, um, mm-hmm. but just in terms of the the way he thought about politics was he named the enemy, um, which was the one percent, the you know the, the billionaires, the capitalist class, mm-hmm. whatever you want to say, um, and he recognised that the only way to beat that enemy was popular power, um, and mm-hmm. I, I, once again an actual vibrant and um, democratic um up, up, uprising. Was was what kind of underpinned that politics, and which, if if it had had been built, I think would have necessitated moving beyond the kind of initial goals of of, of just um, well, I don't want to say just because free healthcare in America would be a really important change, but of just Medicare for all and and and, and, free, mm. and free college. Um, yeah, so I, I I think that 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 would be. I guess a large reason why I, why I, I, I wanted to look at those um, and I, I wanted to kind of like lay out what the, the normative and the, the, the ideological
0: underpinning
1: of those perspectives were. And I think rights, as I said earlier, is a good heuristic through which we can understand what, what, what movements prioritize. And now obviously the context is, is a bit different from when I started, um, but I still think they're like important tendencies
0: to cover. So Michael, in terms of your uh, your methodology, what approach are you going with getting the information from these groups?
1: Yeah, so there, there's been a particular kind of um, methodological turn in political theory in, 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 in recent years in general, um, but I think um, a specific iteration of this is the idea of something that's called like the ethnographic sensibility or the idea of political theory in an ethnographic in an ethnographic key and um, the idea being that essentially getting a knowledge of the i guess the, the the social practices the the actual activity of of real life movements that are advocating particular principles um are something that is something that is very useful for actually understanding those principles um and i think that kind of aligns with the kind of idea of inland critique i was talking about earlier because if you want to it gives a kind of a real world understanding of the social embeddedness of, 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 of normative principles advocated for um and i think also it's 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 an approach that is especially good at um i guess trace tracing ruptures in in, in social ontology um, so, insofar as um, if you're living in a period where um, the kind of, I guess, ontological uh, uh, assumptions by uh, what you're ba- that you base your normative principles on are um, are unchanging, um, that's not necessarily going to be much much use. But if you can trace, um, I guess, a moment when things suddenly change, when you move from a situation um, whereby um, initially um, it, it you know it's more it's it, it, it seems it, it seems more plausible to imagine the end of the world than to imagine mm. the end of capitalism when in the last 10 years you're suddenly into a situation where that no longer is necessarily the case, um, mm. especially in the last year, um, given everything that's happened with them, um, coronavirus um, this, that, that kind of ethnographic me- methodology is something that, that, that that's especially a good at, at tracing that mm. kind of, I guess, change um, which again is particularly useful for me because I think the ontological basis of rights is something that I am particularly interested in. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, and since the last few years have been almost like uniquely ru- rupturous, um, you know, first you had the the Great Recession um, and everything that came after that. Then you had um, Trump and Brexit all in one year, and within mm-hmm. that the emergence of like Corbyn and Sanders and the left and other parts of the world, and then the kind of final well, not final, but like the most recent thing—the corona- coronavirus <laughs> crisis—like everything mm. into like. I mean, like I was, I was framing this, uh, this, this project as about being rupture before the, the the coronavirus crisis, and now it's kind of that on steroids. I feel, but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, so yeah, it is useful for for, for looking at that, um, and then within that, I, I think, obviously, the best way to to get this perspective um, would be to do like an actual ethnography. um, just for those who aren't aware, ethnography is like a a technique that that kind of comes from anthropology. But the idea is that you you kind of insert yourself into a particular community. In this case, it would be like a political community or, or a movement. Mm. So you are able to observe those kinds of things. Um, obviously, practically. That's not really something that's doable at the moment, both because mm-hmm. of coronavirus, but also in order for that to have been effective, I would have needed to have been doing it like as these movements were on the rise and progressing, mm-hmm. which is sadly something that's no longer possible to do. However, I do think through the through doing kind of semi-structured interviews of in particular elites who are involved in, the, in, in these movements, um, what what I can do is get from them some kind of idea mm. of, of 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 how those the, the, those kinds of things um operated, and then I, my my plan is to kind of combine that with um I guess discursive, uh, or discourse analysis of kind of key documents um so things like the um the the labour report on new economic ownership things like um the the, the labour report and the green new deal things like Bernie Bernie Sanders um housing plan for example um. Mm that can provide a kind of I guess a more concrete linking of um, of discourse to, to to broader ideological structures so that's that that will be all in the in, in the next couple of years but that that's my broad plan to, to, for how I kind of I guess reverse en- engineer the, the, these principles.
0: So Michael that's actually a really important point. the fact that these in terms of your the ethnographic methodology that you you wanted to um, kind of pursue, that you cannot embed yourself currently due to coronavirus, but also due to the fact that these movements are no longer in progress, I suppose, or in terms of the Bernie Sanders movement, he's he dropped out, of course, of the presidential race earlier this year. How do you see the future of these left movements like the Bernie Sanders movement? We've hit a slump at the moment. Um, and I'm just wondering, like in 2016, will it re-spark again in the future, do you think?
1: Um Yeah, I, I, I think... I think in the medium term, I would probably be more optimistic about um, the US left that kind Mm. of came in the wake of the Bernie Sanders movement than I would about the UK left purely because the the general election defeat in december 2019
0: Mm -hmm. was
1: so demoralizing in 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 a way that 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 what like i guess the equivalent would be had bernie sanders won the nomination and then been trounced by trump the damage that would have done to that movement Mm. um because it has been so 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 demoralizing um and if you look if you look at the labor party now um you can just observe that like Starmer is moving further and further away from the, the, the Corbynist, um, legacy. Um, you know, some people obviously think that's good and um, maybe in the short term it will increase Labour's electoral chances. But, you know, if you are someone of the left, um, you're not going to be very encouraged by looking at that picture. I think e- like, even like, you know, when, like, I, I, like, I follow a lot of people in the UK left on Twitter, like, mm there was kind of a harmony on the uk left behind corbyn like you had like you know even anarchists were backing him you had um like yeah everything from anarchists to kind of mild social democrats backing him whereas now everyone's Mm -hmm. like attacking each other again the kind of like stereotype of like leftist infighting has kind of Mm re-emerged um that said you know uh, that the people will have had an experience of organizing people will have a memory of the success of the 2017 election campaign um, mm-hmm. That means some, maybe something can emerge, but I think it probably will take a, a year or two of more kind of reflection and kind of recovering from twenty nineteen. Um, mm-hmm. Sanders then, um, obviously, Bernie Sanders did lose, but that loss was, I I think, much less demoralizing than than the um, than, than the Corbyn one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, there was a point like like it, what happened to Sanders wasn't that he was tranced, it was he was actually quite close to winning twice. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the point um, for about two weeks in February when he looked nailed on to win, um, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously that that you know hurt a lot of people and had some effect to a lot of to, to, in a lot of ways. But I think when you consider the point the left was coming on coming from in the US, um, like especially as compared to the UK, um, when there basically was no left beyond, like, a few thousand people in in, mm-hmm. in, in the US um, before Sanders emerged. No, sorry, saying there was no left is probably a bit harsh, but, like, in terms of its prominence in the public eye, there mm-hmm. essentially yeah. was no left. Um, and the legacy of, of Bernie Sanders is ultimately that, you know, like, even if the idea of, like, pushing Biden to the left seems... Um, naive to be honest um the legacy is still like a at the, the an organization like the democratic socialists of america that has tens of mm. thousands of members and is incredibly vibrant um and so many people who have been drawn to the left and left politics um purely because of of of, of, of bernie sanders and that it is a factor to some extent and you see you know more kind of people on the left get, get getting elected to 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 the democratic party um, that's that is a massive improvement in terms of where where the left was a few years ago and um, in terms of the, the prospects of like how how, how, the, how that plays out um there's kind of a just di- a few kind of different strategies on how to approach this on parts of on, on, on the part of the US, the US left kind of the more kind of the the more center left elements of the DSA would probably believe um, that you can kind of I guess gradually transform the democratic party into a you know a true mass party in the style of kind of the old european social democratic parties um but i think most of the left would recognize that's that's not going to happen certainly anytime soon and so you know some people will, will would argue that um essentially there needs to be a complete a complete cutting of ties with the democratic party um and set up of a new kind of mass workers party um Mm. to to pursue um those goals um and then there's a perspective in the middle of that, um, which is known as the the, the dirty break, um, which would agree with people who say you're not going to change the Democratic Party, but also recognize that in the short to medium term, um, it's literally impossible to achieve anything electorally So, with, without the Democratic Party. So the goal should be to, I guess, gradually get more and more socialists elected um, on a Democratic platform. Mm-hmm. Until you reach the point that those socialists have enough prominence and um, to break away from the Democratic Party, and then and at mm-hmm. that point form a new party, and um, that's called the Dirty Break. Um, but the but as I said, I, I I would be kind of more optimistic about the, the 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 kind of Bernie Sanders left in the US than than the UK left at the moment.
0: So Michael, that's all we have time for today on the Rookie Researcher Podcast. I'd like to thank you for coming on and wish you all the best in the rest of your PhD research.
1: Thanks very much, Redmond, and uh, thanks for having
0: me on. That's it for this week's podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you would like to appear on the podcast, you can contact me at redmondscales 13 at gmail.com or on Twitter at red underscore scales. Thanks for listening and stay safe.